Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 255 or 255. My name is John O'Logan and uh, you know what? We're not going to waste any time getting into things today because we have a really big special episode uh, going on. Joining me today as my co-host is Retro Encounters host, Michael Solosi. That's me. Hey, Solosi. And joining us today are two very special guests, the folks behind the legendary indie RPG studio Z-Boyd Games, Robert Boyd and Bill Sternberg. Uh... Hey guys, how are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, doing real good. Thanks for having us here. Oh, geez, it's it's our pleasure, and thank you very much for being here because uh, it's it's I suspect it's it's been a stressful, busy week for both of you. Um, yeah, it's been really crazy. You know, we've got our game coming out on Thursday, and just running around trying to uh, spread the word, tell people about it, as well as fix any last minute typos and other problems we run into. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of being a, uh, a small indie gaming studio. It's, uh, it's all up to you two. Yeah. Not to like put more pressure on you. Um, well, Z-Boyd, <laughs> it, the game they're releasing is This Way Madness Lies. Uh, it will have been out for a few days when you're listening to this, but as of right now, uh, you are rapidly approaching the launch date of November 10th on Steam. Um, just to break down what you're responsible for, aside from like all, aside from all of the publicity and stuff, uh, Robert, you handle the writing, coding, and the overall design of your games, and Bill, you handle the graphics and the uh, assets for the games, right? Yeah, that's correct. We somehow get them done, just the two of us, and we usually work with somebody to do audio. And frankly, j- considering it's just the two of you, your output over the last uh, decade has been absolutely astounding. Like Z Boy Games. Uh, I guess you you broke onto the scene with a uh, small a, a smaller indie RPG called Breath of Death Seven: The Beginning, uh, and then you continued that with Cthulhu Saves the World, and those two games were uh, eventually packaged together on Steam and became like one of the most popular Steam bundles ever, I would imagine, for uh, indie games. Um, and then you started to uh, branch into, I guess, license material. You did the third and fourth episodes of Penny Arcade Adventures on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness. Uh, a few years ago, you released a just a, a massive uh, classically inspired RPG that kind of looked like a cross between Chrono Trigger and Fantasy Star called Cosmic Star Heroin. Uh, FYI, we did two retro encounter episodes on that game last year yep right around a year ago in uh in fall of 2021 yeah and uh aside from this way madness lies your most recent game was cthulhu saves christmas uh which we mike and i actually got a chance to talk to you about that on episode 220 of retro encounter uh in january of 2020 in uh happier less stressful days we were all so young (laughs) just barely i mean uh, uh two years and eight months ago or no, I can't. I can't math. Like two years and and eleven months ago really, really feels like a different time in in every way you can possibly say. So uh, it's great talking to you again, uh, uh, Bill and Robert. But again, it's it's been less than three years, but it also feels like twenty years. <laughs> and that's probably even more so considering that during that time you have both been in development of This Way Madness Lies. Um, now we'll talk a lot about the game, of course, um, but broken down when i when i first saw it I, I it was i saw it's a magical girl rpg based on shakespearean plays holy crap this sounds amazing what a brilliant <laughs> idea of just mashing up two things that otherwise you you wouldn't suspect go together so uh this way madness lies the name of the game comes from king lear uh where uh, lear is trying to comprehend the behavior of his daughters and he he kind of just puts it out of hand he dismisses it saying no i, I can't think about that because uh that way madness lies um but 
how did you guys get the idea for this game? Like mashing these two things together, how, like where did where did the uh, the, the the idea come from? Um, well, we were thinking it'd be lots of fun to do a magical girl RPG uh, because there really aren't that many of them. You know, they're way back on the Super Nintendo. There was a Sailor Moon RPG that never got you know officially released in English, and then you get the occasional one like. Um, blue reflection and then you get and there's some other games that i feel were inspired by the whole genre like persona i feel is basically just a magical girl anime just you know you have boys on your team too Uh, but we were looking at that and thinking oh what should our next game be what's something that hasn't really been done a whole lot so and we're like oh magical girl game and then, you know, most Magical Girls series have some sort of theme uh, along with, you know, their powers and such. Like Sailor Moon, of course, has the whole, you know, s- you know planet planetary theme. And so I was just, you know, brainstorming ideas for a theme we could do for this game. And my wife is a huge, huge Shakespeare fan. And she's like, oh, do Shakespeare. There's all sorts of strong women in his plays. And you know, lots of crazy events. And, you know, we looked into it, thought it was a great idea. And, you know, This Way Madness Lies was created. Yeah. And, you know, there's something funny about how we came up with the idea too. Uh, I don't know how much of this you remember, Robert, but when we first started coming up with the ideas for Cosmic Star Heroine, like way back, uh, the original idea was that Alyssa, the the Cosmic Star Heroine, was going to be... um, like a pop, like a famous pop star and then have like a double life as the secret agent. And as her secret agent, she would be able to turn into a magical girl and use magic powers like during the dungeons and battles and stuff. And we ended up dropping that, but we dropped it super early in the design process. And I feel like this is kind of getting back, like bringing that idea that we were kind of excited about, but couldn't get it to work back into the fold, especially after making you know, that game and, and Cthulhu Saves the World, which is a little bit more, you know, like darker, spookier stuff, even though it's comedy and mm-hmm. doing something that's more lighthearted and colorful. And that's kind of another reason why we wanted to do this. Yeah. Uh, what's your respective background with uh, Shakespeare? Like you mentioned that your your wife really liked Shakespeare. Do Before you started work on this game, uh, what was your familiarity with uh, the works of William Shakespeare? Bill. Oh, me? Oh, you know. No, I mean, I... no sorry, Bill Shakespeare. Oh, <laughs> You know, as as we like to call him, familiar. We're uh-huh. on first name, first name basis. Billy yeah, boy, it, it's easy to confuse. I mean, we get they we, they're both BS, so it, it works out. Uh, yeah, you know, there you go. Me per me personally, I I've only been a casual fan, and like we, you know, I I think like a lot of people, at least in this country, um, know Shakespeare from what they learned in high school or Bass Lerman. Yeah, you know, so that's me too. And I found a lot of the stories fascinating, but we didn't cover all of them. I mean. Most people don't know about all of them. And, you know, it's it's definitely easy enough to know just from kind of that general broad overview knowledge that there's a lot of different topics and a lot of uh, interesting characters and settings and plot twists and, uh, you know, everything from like ghosts and uh, betrayals and murders and stuff that happen in the stories that there's plenty of material to work with. Oh, yeah. I mean, Shakespeare is a... Uh 
a fountain of good ideas and inspiration. And uh, what is your respective background with Magic Girls? You can answer that one, Robert. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So Magic Girls growing up, you know, there was a fair bit of Sailor Moon in the house. You know, I had a sister who was a few huge fan and I liked anime and it was on. So I watched it too. And like I said, I, you know, played the Super Nintendo Sailor Moon game and I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. And um, I wouldn't say like I'm a, I know a whole lot about it, but I know a moderate amount. Um, I think after Sailor Moon, my next major thing was Magic Knight Ray Earth, mm. which I know yes. mostly from the working designs game that they localized now we're into my area of expertise Jono has shakespeare and i have uh and i and i have um you know magic girls uh well let's say uh japanese superhero shows where they transform Mm -hmm. um there what that uh sega saturn game for magic knight ray earth was uh one of an early game that was directed by reiko kodama who recently passed away yeah um she was the she was the director of fantasy star 4 and the producer for uh skies of arcadia so that that's um that that and the sailor moon snes rpg are my earliest familiarity with uh magical girls in um in rpgs but i mean magical girls themselves have been around since the uh i think late 60s early 70s there was some magic uh witch girl um uh, anime and then you have uh tokusatsu shows which are you know live action mm-hmm. shows like common rider or or power rangers uh, with a, a, several of those that were um including a few adaptations of sailor moon from the 90s onwards but uh th- th- really the the definitive magical girl series is sailor moon by naoko takeuchi uh it was eventually uh picked up by toei which is the same uh, the same studio that makes uh, things like Power Rangers. So they're used to tra- to transforming anime and TV shows. They had a good late 90s. Uh, yeah, they did. Well, this is early 90s. I'm just, oh, you're I right, think, it was. Uh, yeah, uh, Sailor Moon, I think, was uh, originally published in the in the early 80s. I'm sorry, sorry, in the late 80s, but then it sort of became a definitive show of the 90s. Mm. Uh, and and my, my secret dream is because uh, uh, Naoko Takeuchi is married to Yoshihiro Togashi, who... Uh, who uh, wrote Yu Yu Hakusho? That someday their children will make the ultimate uh, juvenile delinquent magical girl anime. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know that that still remains yet a dream. But um, I, I mostly am a fan of Japanese superhero shows where they transform, and uh, Matt, and Sailor Moon does sort of uh, you know share a center of a Venn diagram with those. <laughs> so um, funny story. Uh, when my family was visiting Japan, we went to Universal Studios while they had a Sailor Moon event, you know, live show thing going on there. Oh, yeah. And so we, we were sitting there with the family and, you know, it was getting kind of scary. And, you know, one of my kids who was littler at the time was, you know, getting nervous. And I said, you know, the worst thing possible uh, you know, <clears throat> Tuxedo Mask came on the scene. I said, oh, don't worry. He'll save them. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that, that, that's not what happens. Uh, Tux- uh, yeah. And my wife was like, what did you just say? You're surrounded by hardcore Sailor Moon fans. If any of them know English, they're they're mugging you after, you know, we leave here. <laughs> like, say, uh, Tuxedo Mask doesn't save them. You know, he distracts no. the enemy briefly, gets captured, and then Sailor Moon saves the day. Yes, he, Tuxedo Mask will come complicate things often, <laughs> rose uh, and then often, become uh, yeah often become a hostage himself 
and but, <laughs> but really it's it's one or several of the sailor senshi that saves him or it's they're always called sailor scouts in english but the word they use in japanese is senshi which means soldier mm. it's uh yeah so that yeah. that's my biggest magical girl faux pas <laughs> no, but, no but live tokusatsu shows for uh the the pop the popular brands are a thing um in in japan there's like i've even seen <laughs> music videos <laughs> that are that are like parodies of those live action shows <laughs> i would have loved to have seen that when i went to universal studio as a kid all i got was beetlejuice meets the ghostbusters <laughs> and they danced no it, it was really fun they had they had the sailor moon live show which had you know some 3d glasses stuff mm-hmm. going on um oh, they cool. had a monster hunter exhibit that i didn't go to oh this, this is the best Solosi episode ever oh, and also um their other you know, pop culture thing they had was a Final Fantasy roller coaster, but you know, it was one of those VR roller coasters, uh. and it was very silly. I mean, you strapped on the glasses and you just kind of flew around, and at some point, Sephiroth and Cloud were fighting in front of you. And that sounds like an amazing ride. <laughs> um, uh, going to a place that I feel more comfortable. Uh, my love of Shakespeare, I guess, you know, years and years of theater school kind of drilled it into my head. Like I still have multiple monologues on the tip of my tongue. Um, but I guess my love of Shakespeare really got started with another adaptation. Uh, this way, Madness Lies is an adaptation of Shakespeare. I got my start with Shakespeare in an adaptation, and that's Gargoyles. In the uh, late 90s, the, the Disney mm-hmm. television show Gargoyles uh, adapted multiple Shakespearean characters and uh, situations for their storylines, including literally a five-part episode that just was retelling Macbeth, but with uh, Gargoyles. Um, and that, I, I didn't know anything really about Shakespeare at first. And then there was that, and that kind of made me go, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I got a complete works of Bill Shakespeare and started reading what I could because it was I was in grade seven. Um and some of it went way over my head, but that's what kind of came to mind when I was playing this game. It's it's Shakespeare's scenarios and characters are so vivid and human even today that they can easily be adapted into other stories uh, while keeping a lot of the the magic of Shakespeare. And the fact that you took that and you combined it with what we were just talking about, Magic Girls, is again kind of a genius idea, guys. It's a really really smart. Uh, concept for a game. I, I I really thought you were going to talk about a different cartoon when you're talking about '90s adaptations of Shakespeare, because you know the uh, hugely popular animated film The Lion King is an adaptation mm-hmm. of Hamlet, mm-hmm. and it's and it's its sequel, its direct to video sequel was an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet with a slightly happier ending. Y- yes, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 when Lion King was accused of being a ripoff of the uh, of the uh, Osamu Tezuka manga Kimba the White Lion, yes, Kimba Simba, it's a white lion, and it, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are different animals besides a meerkat and a warthog. But mm-hmm. the uh, um, when I first heard about uh, Lion King Hamlet Kimba connection, that's one of that's that was my introduction to Osamu Tezuka and reading disgusting amounts of manga online. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, Shakespeare has its uh, you know finds its way into a, a lot of different places, but. Uh, where we are today is in this really remarkable indie RPG yeah. uh, <laughs> that I, again, I, from the, pr- the first time you announced this premise, I, I, I could like feel my eye sockets widening. It's like, Oh no, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what this is going to be, but I know I have to play it. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about uh, this way madness lies? Like what's the plot of the game? So uh, the gist is that there are 
well, there's a, there's a school and they have basically a drama club and the story centers around seven of the, I guess the main or the, the cast of this drama club. And they have, you know, their typical school uh, responsibilities. So they have clubs. One of the characters, Viola has, you know, her sports that she does. All of the sports. <laughs> yeah. All of them literally. And then, uh, you know, they have school where they have to do homework and they have classes and stuff, but then there are also magical girls with wands that allow them to both transform and have magical powers as well as enter alternate dimensions. So in this game, um, the whole cast, they're all huge Shakespeare fans, especially one in particular, Paulina. She's constantly obsessing over it. And they sort of detect this shadowy like presence that's like seeping into their world and they get these... Uh, these messages from these other dimensions asking for help, like SOS calls. And so they're able to use their powers to open these portals to these other worlds. And they find out that they're basically dimensions that come from Shakespeare's plays. And so they actually uh, like explore these worlds and find out why they're being corrupted by these shadow monsters and try to set the plays right. Like, um, I guess it's not too much of a spoiler, but in the very first uh, segment of the game, you enter this world of Romeo and Juliet, which everyone's familiar with, and it's kind of a good starting point. It was a good and, starting point, yeah. You know, in the play, Romeo, or, you know, Romeo is kind of eavesdropping on Juliet at the balcony, and she's talking about how she wishes that their families could get along. And as soon as Romeo comes out to, you know, tell her about his love for her, a giant mutant uh, rose plant abducts him and sprouts up giant poisonous vines all over Verona, the city where they are. So you see that the characters come in during this and they, you know, see this happen. And Juliet uh, tells them to please save her, you know, save Romeo. And they actually go and do that to set the play right. And before they go back to their world and then, the rest of the game kind of follows like, why is this happening? Why is it Shakespeare? How do they set it mm -hmm. right? And who are these characters that share the same names as them from these Shakespearean plays coming into their world and asking for help? So um, there's a lot of different settings that we can explore, you know, all these different plays. Meanwhile, you also have sections where you're going to class and answering questions from the teacher about the plays and deciding on what plays you're going to do. You actually have control over that in the game. You have to, um, you know, in one segment, Imogen, the, the main character, gets to choose a pet to take care of. And there's different cutscenes that result from that. So mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a, it kind of carries you between dungeons, fighting monsters as a magical girl, and then spending your time in the real world dealing with classes and uh, sleepover parties with your friends and raising pets and, and that sort of slice of life stuff. All right. All right. I, I have three comments here. Uh, <laughs> for, for, first of all, the, the slice of life interjections, which I think you call intermissions sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they're, those are great. It immediately brings uh, per, the Persona games to mind, especially answering questions in class <laughs> as, as, as part of gameplay. Um, and and I, I thought that was a, a really interesting choice, especially since you did a similar thing in Cthulhu Saves Christmas, where you got to choose choose how you spend your time in between the the big dungeon segments of the game. Um, so so that uh, that uh, that's not really work life balance. I guess you could call it like <laughs> like like, like uh, 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 life battle balance mm -hmm. um, is uh, was interesting again. Uh, the second thing 
Um, uh, I, I really enjoyed um, the references and concepts that were uh, introduced in both in simple things like character names uh, and, uh, and and things that manifested themselves in gameplay bigger. Like, uh, like you know, everyone knows the the line from uh, Romeo and Juliet, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So naturally, the monsters in the Romeo and Juliet stage are thorns and rose monsters. So it was, that, was, that was amusing. And you have a lot of um, character names and place names, uh, Stratford, Stratford upon Avon High School, uh, the, the there's um one of the teachers is named Miss Marlowe because Christopher Marlowe is one of the historical figures that contemporaries Shakespeare yeah yeah contemporaries of Shakespeare and and sometimes theorized to be the true author of Shakespeare's plays but just like a lot of clever references that you know it, even if someone doesn't know a lot about Shakespeare uh would 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 happily accept but you know are rewarding to people that do enjoy seeing uh, the references present and um the third point I was going to make is uh you use a lot of the of language directly from shakespeare um like like you know when they're when uh the main characters are viewing scenes from the plays or when they meet a character from the play and they say a line that's very similar to what they say in the play and 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 sometimes you use lines not from shakespeare but speaking in 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 that manner but you also have the translation option (laughs) Where if you if you press right on your on your D pad or your controls, it'll it'll give a quote modern translation unquote to the to the Shakespearean language being used. Yeah, you basically have your own version <laughs> of Sparks Notes in the game, um, but one that is uh, spiked with your trademark sense of humor rather than just uh, rather than just dry, uh, not really interesting translations. Uh, in fact, I mean. I don't know if this would be counting as a spoiler, but again, like I'm a, I'm a theater nerd. So the fact that this big rose plant who wants to eat Romeo, uh, you guys started translating uh, his stuff and it went into a very popular song from a certain musical that involves a giant man eating plant. And I thought that that made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. That's one of my favorite musicals. And so I try to get, you know, a little reference in just about all of our games to that. But like here with the giant rose monster, it was just, you know, too easy to do. Oh, that's sometimes the best ideas, though. The ones you're like, well, we have to do this. I mean, we can't (laughs) not do this. It's right there. Um, And I mean, there are very other there are a lot of other clever little things that work Shakespeare into the magic girls. For example, uh, you know how each one of the sailor scouts, they're they're scouts. So you use ingenue as their title, um, which is amazing because ingenue is a it's a term describing uh, an innocent young woman. Uh, and that's the ingenue roles. There's ingenue roles in every Shakespearean play, whether it be a comedy tragedy, um, like Ophelia would be an ingenue. Um, so each one is an ingenue. Uh, that was, I thought that was really quite clever. That was uh, a smart, a smart joke that I, maybe some people wouldn't get, but the people who do were, are really going to enjoy it. Oh, oh yeah. Having ingenue as like the noun for the, uh, for the heroes themselves, which, you know, depending on the show could be, Senshi mm-hmm. or Scout or Ranger or or whatever it was was a was a very very smart choice. I loved it. Yeah. Um. In terms of the game itself, the pixel art is. I mean, your your studio is well known for uh, your pixel art. Um. It's again, it's absolutely stunning. Uh. Beautiful, beautiful pixel art, both in the uh, sprite design and in the backgrounds. Um. What were some of your interpret uh, your inspirations for the graphic style of this game? Okay, well, uh, I guess the easiest place to start is the actual characters, because when we make a game, we usually kind of uh, flesh out the characters first. And one of the, um, something we, you know, 
with the idea for this game, it's kind of inspired by, uh, you know, Magical Girls and a lot of that stuff people became aware of or was popularized in the 90s. And so I actually was inspired by mostly 90s fashion, like fashion and styles (laughs) and stuff. And a lot of the game is actually meant to sort of kind of reflect uh, the way things kind of looked in the 90s. And it's not super blatant or anything in the game, but uh, the way the outfits on the characters look is is 90s style inspired. A lot of the settings and the way they were drawn is is sort of based on stuff that looked how it looked in the 90s, which is why you you know, the classroom has a chalkboard instead of a digital projector with, you know, that detects your hand motion, hand motions like they have now. But, um, that, that's kind of, uh, how I came up with the general style. And then obviously I wanted to make the outfits have distinct colors. I mean, that's a given, obviously like Mm. every, um, magical girl or, or even, you know, power Rangers, each character has a specific color. And we came up with the, characters personalities kind of early like that's as part of our typical design and along with their personalities we kind of come up with their general uh battle trait like ability traits so as an example a character might mostly focus on water elemental based attacks or earth element or fire and so i would kind of take those abilities let's say it's um you know, if it's water, I might, I might design their costume or their outfit to have a blue theme, or if it's, you know, um, if it's a a dark theme, like they use a lot of dark magic or, or, or whatever, it might be purple or kind of black in tone. And so once I come up with the, uh, the color scheme, I can kind of match it to outfits that you would kind of look or kind of be styled after they were in the nineties. And, that's kind of how it came. The actual, uh, you know, backgrounds and settings. Uh, there's a lot of cool, uh, a lot of di- diversity in the in the settings uh, for this game, especially in the slice of life stuff. Um, mm. At first, our idea was to do cutscenes more like a comic book with, pan- you know, comic panels. That that would have, I think that would have worked, but I'm not sure we would have been able to really show all of the different locations in as much detail it would have been focused a lot more on just you know characters shots and expressions and we Mm. get we get that mostly from the portraits but it was actually it was a lot of fun doing all this stuff most of the rpgs that we've done the settings are either um like uh they're either like a fantasy setting or a science fictiony setting but these are you know classroom grocery store Bathroom. Uh, yeah. bath- there's there's multiple bathroom scenes. They're cool. That sounds weird to say, but like, <laughs> I think people will like the but the events in there. Uh, and there's there's a zoo. There's a roller skating. So just imagine you sitting there at like sitting there on your computer, being like drawing a bathroom, being like, oh hell yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> well, it's just th- like the scenes that happen in there are really funny and they're really amusing. So I, I mm-hmm. think people get a Including kick a out of it. Very nice cameo, by the way. Uh huh. Yeah. Which I, mean, I won't no, ruin here, but there's yeah, a nice yeah. cameo. And also the zoo was really fun. Like there's a lot of cutscenes or, you know, these slice of life segments where there's literally um, you, you see a, a location or a background or, you know, a setting just the one time, but it was a lot of fun making these. Um, and just because they're, they're modern settings and they're different and they're varied. Uh, it was, it was definitely a lot of work and I wasn't sure exactly how long it would take, but once, once I got into the, the groove of it, it started to come, especially mm-hmm. after, you know, sticking to that sort of nine you know 90s aesthetic or whatever that that was the inspiration once you committed to it yeah 
And and one side question. Um, I, I did I I didn't finish the game yet, but I have played through this far. This is only the first quarter or so. There's a uh, in one of the slice of life segments. The girls choose to go to either the the I think it's either the zoo or the arcade or or the zoo or the roller rink. So if you choose roller rink instead of zoo, is there an entirely differently animated segment with a different boss fight? Yeah, that's the cool thing about this yeah, game. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, you, you when you make the cho- certain choices in the game is going to affect what happens, like uh, the cutscenes and the little life segments that happen throughout the game. So you you know you'll finish the game, and if you want to see the you know the other route there's different location you know the characters the dialogue the setting of what happens and maybe if there's an uh if there's a battle during that segment it's going to be different yeah the game's mostly linear but there's a few segments that it branches out like that yeah i i noticed that there's in one of the slice of life segments you choose between going to the zoo or going to i think it was a roller rink arcade place and 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 epic zoo and there and you fight a uh there's a scene where the girls all go to the zoo together and then fight a boss battle. And I, and I assume that there was a, uh, something would go differently if you chose the, the roller rink. Um, and, and, uh, and, and also there's segments like, uh, you can choose on how to adapt a Shakespeare play that you put on for the whole school. Uh, so, so I, I know that I, I only experienced one side of any of those paths, but, uh, uh, around how many of those in the game, are there and uh, was there one that you thought was particularly clever or fun to uh, design or animate robert do you know how many roughly like i i feel like there's several main ones and a bunch of lesser you know main ones yeah there a lot of them are early on there um at one point it asks you to pick between one of four different pets and you get several scenes depending on which pet you pick um, there's the zoo versus roller rink thing. I think that's the only one that has a different boss fight depending on what you pick. I so, think roller rink. It was a it was a fun one. Yeah, I, I really like both of those scenarios. Um, I will say that for me, I think the most fun to do the do the actual like art and stuff for is probably the zoo one. <laughs> I actually love the. Um, the, the idea of the arcade one is fun because I love little side quests in video games where you like enter another video game and like the characters are in something else. But the zoo one is fun because there's a uh, they go to like the different exhibits with the different animals and then they go to the like the cafeteria and they have really fun dialogue. But there's a there's a really visual funny. Gag. <laughs> yeah, there's a really funny visual gag that I like at first it was going to be a small thing, but we're like, you know what, let's make it. Let's push it. Let's make it really like. Let's really sell this this gag. So I'm not gonna spoil what it is, but uh, if you pick the zoo, I think you're gonna get a kick out of it. Yeah, and all of these scenes are well, they're they're literal scenes. Like each one of these scenes opens with a curtain opening and then closing again. Yeah, that was obviously inspired by the fact that this is a Shakespearean like um, based RPG, and like the characters are all part of the drama club, and everything is focused on you know, doing plays and the theater group and, and Shakespeare's plays and monsters attacking. And when it came time to do, um, actually along the same time that we were coming up with this concept, we wanted to do a, a battle presentation that was totally different from our other ones. And Robert and I have always been, you know, really fascinated by the, the shining force style of mm-hmm. uh, battle presentation where it's kind of at an angle, the camera is sort of down low rather than above or, first person and you get this sort of face-off view between the opponent and the main characters 
And one of the first things we mocked up was that battle presentation, which I think is really cool. And it worked out <laughs> better than I better than I expected. I wasn't sure how it would work out, work out until I saw it in motion. But once we had that kind of mocked up and working, I realized, I guess we both realized how well it would work to just keep that sort of looking into the world presentation for cutscenes, mm-hmm. because it also kind of looks, it kind of feels like you're looking onto a stage and it fits so well with the theme that once I'd made the cutscenes, I realized if we give the screen, the screen transitions, like a curtain effect that it kind of helps sell it and tie it together. I also like it because it kind of makes it so that the alternate dimensions uh, feel more real than the real world does. Yes. You're getting pulled into these worlds. Um, out of curiosity, uh, like aside from Romeo and Juliet uh, at, at, as the first one of these worlds, you tend to lean on the comedies quite a bit. Um, what each each world, I guess, I guess well, we'll just call them missions for this case, where the girls go on these these missions in to eliminate the nightmares in each one of these plays. Uh, was there any what thought went into choosing these specific plays for each one of these worlds? Was it you were looking for certain narrative themes or settings? I know settings was part of it. We needed like cool settings for dungeons and battles obviously whether that be like a boat or a forest yeah like the second dungeon is the winter's tale and i know the winter's tale doesn't all take place at winter but you know we wanted to make it a nice homey snowy you know kind of christmasy feel to that uh, world you can't you can't totally shake the christmas winter setting for, following from the last game can you <laughs> right and frankly what would an rpg be without a winter setting there's got to mm-hmm. be an ice level or a cave level and, and possibly an ice <laughs> cave level and and, and you, you had to check off a box with the winter's tales uh setting definitely <laughs> I, I i i had fun making the ship dungeon like from uh based on 12th night or whatever which in the play i think it, I, I could be wrong maybe maybe you can I think Correct it was based. Me, but I think I, it was it based on the Tempest or Twelfth Night. No, just it's it's a little it's a little funny. The, the characters in the game do a play based on the Tempest. Right. Okay. Th- that's what I was confusing. You're yeah. Right. There's Sorry. actual cutscene and then some the, the dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> and then the actual dungeons based on Twelfth Night, which is where you meet the Shakespearean alternate dimension Viola. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. In, in in the in the in the tempest, there's a shipwreck. So I was yeah, I was, I was, I was I was confused. Yeah, sorry. Right, there's like a shipwreck. Lots of lots of shipwrecks. Yeah, Shakespeare likes right? sinking ships. He just had a real thing about yeah. sailors. Yeah, yeah, maybe he will. Maybe uh, Shakespeare would have appreciated the sailor scouts in his day, or or maybe he would have been a fan of East. Well, and, and yeah. impossible to say. What's also what's cool about the dungeons in this game is that. Since they were these like alternate dimensions based on these plays, just conceptually, they're the the, the concept for each one is ab- a little bit abstract, and so it was uh, it was kind of cool because the actual dungeons, like des- designing the look and the layout, um, we came up with this idea of like creating, making them all themselves a bit abstract. So they all have like kind of an abstract parallax background, and they feel like you're in this other weird twisted dimension rather than being in a like a real world place. Mm. And so it kind of it was fun to take a play like Twelfth Night, like a shipwreck. And make it into this floating, like, twisted ship that's sort of like falling apart. That's like floating in this this abstract um, uni- this abstract dimension. And so, building the dungeons and making them weird and making them more abstract kind of makes the other worlds and dimensions more distinct from the real world that 
the other half the game takes place in. Now, I'm definitely unaware of the nuances of the development of each of your games, but um, I mean, the, the environments and assets here do look at least stylistically similar to what's in Cosmic Star Heroine and Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Like, were you able to have any asset reuse um, from those or, or was were building was building the art assets for uh, This Way Madness Lies easier because of those other games? You know, each time we do a game and I'm building like a dungeon, the dungeons, for example, or the enemy sprites, it feels like, oh, you know, we've done X many number of games before. We've done four games already or five or six. Like I have all these previous games to like grab stuff from to make it quicker, but in reality are, are easier. But in reality, once you actually start making it or me and maybe it's just maybe part of it is me. It, like I just I have to try and make these um, dungeons feel distinct and more true to their like the design for the for a given game rather than just copying, you know, copying stuff over. So, yeah, there's there's stuff that's reused, but it tends to be something like a dirt texture that's, you know, under some grass, like really basic stuff right. where, I, where I start the layout using stuff from before. But then as I flesh out the details, I start. I'm like, ah, you know, this would look so much better if I had a, you know, like a mushroom for this fairy forest that looks this specific way. And I'll just draw and make a new one because, you know, I I, I want it to look and feel more distinct for the uh, specific theme that we're going for. But, you know, I don't I don't try to, like, make it harder for myself or for, you know, for Robert than we have to. If I can reuse something and kind of kind of tweak it and save some time and trouble, I'll do that. But um, I often find myself where it's like, the game would just benefit a whole lot more if I made this part of that part totally new so that it fits rather than trying to shoehorn something from a previous game into it. What I appreciated about these settings is how you uh, would start merging Shakespearean tropes together uh, with the settings. For example, uh, there's the As You Like It mission, but then all of a sudden fairies start showing up and then Titania's <laughs> there. And it, like, it, it's very, very clever uh, how you've been subverting these uh, well-known Shakespearean tropes and merging them. And it, it, it's smart. It's a smart game. And I mean, you do not need to know Shakespeare to enjoy it at all. But if you do have uh, quite a bit of familiarity with Shakespeare and uh, Shakespearean uh, plays, you're going to get an extra little, <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> Quite a few, it's clever moments in there. Um, I guess one, one very important thing, uh, that comes with Shakespearean plays, uh, on stage is the music. Um, Shakespeare was a big fan of music and there is a lot of music, uh, lyrics in his, uh, in his plays. Uh, the music of this game is as ever for your games. Fantastic. Uh, in fact, there are, there are several, uh, vocal, like songs in this game where people are actually singing it uh who's responsible for the music in the game and uh why did you decide to add the vocals into it okay um yeah joshua queen uh did the music for the game he also did the music for cthulhu saves christmas so our last game and yeah i mean we liked working with him cthulhu on cthulhu saves christmas he liked working with us so we invited him for this game and since it was a magical girl game like oh it'd be you know neat if we could get some vocals in here and he has a band with him and his wife and he's like oh you know i have an in with a very talented singer i bet i could get her to agree her name is sarah ann queen and uh yeah i just wanted to say that because she's like she's she's perfect for this like i did i mean i don't even specifically remember saying oh yeah we definitely need vocals in this i i almost feel like it was almost offhand 
on our part. And then Josh um, really wanted to uh, kind of go for it. And, and Sarah was like, perfect. Like I, you know, when they, when they gave us the first track, I was like, holy crap, this works really, really well. And mm. um, I think it adds a lot. It's not like every track in the game is not fully uh, a vocal track, but rather it's more uh, vocals will come in and out in certain tracks and not in others. And I think it works really well because it, it sort of adds an element of polish and, and it fits the theme. I feel like it fits the theme with the whole magical girl thing really well without being like too overly, you know, in your face, like lyrics kind of stuff. And also a really fun thing is um, when the game was almost done, we were, you know, working on the sound effects and he just offhandedly say, hey, it would be kind of cool if we had some battle cries in here. Uh, let me mm. see what I could do. And so he got his wife and his daughter to do battle cries for the seven different characters. And it, I thought it turned out really well. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not just like battle cries. It's like the characters will actually, you know, I mean, it's like there's uh, saying specific things for certain abilities. And yeah, like and, and I was really impressed, too. And we've taken some feedback from play testers and some beta testers and some other developers and they're all very, like, they'll tell us that they're specifically that they're pleasantly surprised by how much it adds to the character of the game when the characters in battle, you know, actually vocalize certain times. And, and that wasn't something we were planning at all. That yeah. was just an offhanded idea he had a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I know it was so, it was so surprising because it was like his idea, Josh's idea and, and like and when they did it, I thought I always thought you needed like if you're going to do voice acting right in your in a game, you had to go like all or nothing almost. You had to like have all this voice acting for everything, or or don't have it at all because if you only have parts of it, people playing it be like, oh well, well this is I don't understand like why am I reading dialogue you know on mute now, but then they talk at these other times. But this works because it's in battle and there's a lot more going on in battle. There's, you know, the animation and the enemies, the player is closely engaged with what's happening and having the, having just voiceovers for battle abilities, like adds to, adds a whole nother layer and works really well without actually requiring the whole rest of the game having voice acting. So I was, I was honestly surprised by how well it worked and it worked super well. And I'm glad that Josh and Sarah and, and their daughter could pull it, pull it together like that. So cool. It, it adds a lot of flavor to the combat and, um, and I guess sticking to the combat a little bit, I, I, I really like the sort of, um, the, the, the sort of, um, back profile views that each character has, uh, during combat that that's a level of character animation in combat. That's, uh, that exceeds all of your previous games. Um, it, it probably people are probably comparing it to to Fantasy Star. I'm guessing. Um, uh, and but the the game has combat similar to a few of your previous games, where you like design character loadouts from um uh, from multiple skills, and uh and and uh you have but and they're they're used in combat with no MP systems. You but you can guard to restore uh a skill once it's been used already, and there are sort of dual techs called uh well, using Chrono Trigger parlance called Unites that have been in previous games as well. This feels like a culmination of a lot of your previous battle system ideas, but uh, just presented in a really, really fresh way. Um, and uh, I, first, this question is for all three of you, including John. Like, did, did you have a favorite character to either design or or see uh, see how their machinations worked out in, in battle? 
Because I, I, I have an answer, but I'd like to hear from all of you first. You start, Robert. Oh, I should go last. I'm the one who designed their combat. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said you should go first. <laughs> okay, um, first. yeah. So I all of us can go, yeah, that's my favorite too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're okay, a genius. <laughs> I, um, I think I over-designed her, but I liked um, how Miranda, you know, has that whole dual ability system where she has offensive abilities normally, and then it goes to a support or a healing ability on Hyper. Um, mm-hmm. I get the feeling she's probably the least useful character for your party, um, but I had a lot of fun designing uh, her setup. I-, I was sometimes confused or stressed out when it was Miranda's turn. Like I, <laughs> I-, I just wasn't sure exactly w- what to do. Um, so she, um, she wasn't my favorite. <laughs> but like you know, excluding her, I'm always a fan of doing the hero character, um, where you know I try to have a balance between you know really strong abilities by themselves and also abilities that support the whole party to show um, their leadership role. Yeah, my favorite um, is probably. Uh... Well, I, I don't know. I really like I really like having Rosalind on my team because she has um, so she's got those you know abilities that attack the front row or back row, and then she also can be loaded out with uh, different elements. So she's kind of versatile. But then when she's in um, hyper mode, her abilities are I think they're more powerful, but then they're focused on one enemy at a time. So. I don't know. I feel like she's really versatile. And so it's useful to have her, you know, on the party. Um, but as far as like designing them, I don't know. I, th- I think designing like uh, Miranda was probably one of my favorites because um, like <laughs> she's like uh, when I'm reading her character, just, you know, the, when we're designing the character personalities and stuff, she's kind of quirky and poppy and stuff. And so she's she's like the short and she's got blue hair and she's almost like the um oh the baba yaga of this game <laughs> like, mm. to reference cthulhu saves christmas the like short and quirky and poppy and she has this like added you know this like silly attitude and i don't know coming up with her design was a lot of fun I, uh, one last thing i guess this this ties to the audio and the character individuality um in the henshin sequence where they all transform which happens at the beginning of uh, of most every uh dungeon um each there's a similar audio theme that plays, but there's a different instrumentation for each girl. And I, I just absolutely love that. It was a, Oh, I, I hope I can remember them correctly. It was electric piano for Imogen. It was violin for Paulina. It was chip tunes for Miranda, electric guitars for Beatrice. I think it was a uh, piano and harpsichord for Rosalind. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So like they, they do the Prokofiev, Peter and the wolf thing with giving a different instrumental voice to every character. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely mm-hmm. loved that. Uh, but my uh, my favorite character in battle was was from the get go Beatrice because <laughs> like like just really strong poison and status with mm-hmm. some with some dark elemental magic and the the the, po- the the poison bane attack like you you dealing extra damage to enemies that have uh, that have status effects but then you remove mm-hmm. those status effects I. It, it was a kind of setup and payoff style character that I really, really liked using. Yeah, putting a nice foundation of poison over top of your enemies at the beginning of a battle is always a good way to start. Yep. I would just add that this game has a lot of uh, battles where status effects can make a big difference. Mm. So um, just for anybody that plans to play it, like that's a useful thing. Well, in the last episode that we did with you guys, I commented that your battle systems, while they resemble the turn-based mechanics of SNES and uh, Genesis games that inspired them. 
they seem they have much more of a like a puzzle element to it. You can't just hit fight every time and expect to win, uh, because you know you can only use one each ability once before you need to recharge them and status effects are necessary or you're just going to get slaughtered also your foes grow in strength the longer a battle goes on so you need to figure out the quickest most efficient way to defeat them or you're going to get slaughtered by the end of the fight um and because of that it it layered on a level of challenge that you don't often find in a lot of turn-based rpgs where you can just kind of go on autopilot you can't really go on autopilot in this game unless you want to and then you just pick easy mode and then you're good to go (laughs) yes i that's that's actually part of the beauty another really nice thing about this game is that you put difficulty settings into it um so if people just want to absorb the story they can go to easy mode or they can uh they can you know moderate levels of challenge or they can torture themselves and go to like the super (laughs) super hard level of challenge i did half of the game in uh in the regular difficulty. And then I realized that because of time, uh, time differences and stuff, I wasn't going to finish it in time. So I switched to easy so I could get the entire game. I could beat the game. Um, it's a really, it's a really, really well-balanced system. And it's a system that you guys have been refining over the last, uh, three games. You guys started with the, I, a lot of the ideas of it, uh, the, um, the way, the way that you get like every, what is it? At first, it's every couple of turns you you your characters can get stronger, and then they can you try to use your best abilities at that time. Um, it's been getting refined, and I think that you guys really hit a nice uh, a nice balance with this game. Yeah, I mean, with Cosmic Star Hero, and we had the basic system set up, uh, but it was still a little messy in some aspects. I thought, and then with Cthulhu Saves Christmas, we tried to. Uh, change up a few things so like the hyper mode um Mm -hmm. no longer just gave a flat you know bonus to damage or effect it you know it could transform the ability and you know make it you know increase the area of effect or give it additional bonuses um and then i feel like here we further refined it um i really like the unite system how you know you have these one-time use abilities for each battle and the longer you wait before you use them, the more powerful they become. So you have that tension of whether you want to use it really early to try to make things easy for you or finish the battle quickly, or if it's better to save it up and, you know, do a huge bombastic attack later. For, for random battles, uh, be, because there's no MP system, um, like the, uh, everything is fully restored at, at bat- after battle, including health. But for random battles, what I would do is I would use my everyone's regular skills to soften the enemies up. But then when I was on turn, I don't know, somewhere between turn three and five, I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to spam Unites to wipe to finish them off. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, it was usually pretty satisfying. Like I, I, I felt like I was solving a minor puzzle every time I was, uh, you know, um, figuring out uh, uh new enemies in a new setting and uh there's no armor or equipment cu- uh, or weapon or equipment customization here but there are um you do customize your loadouts of skills for every character but also equip traits which i i uh which i i guess replaces armor but like as the girls level up they get more traits and you can only equip a certain number at a time and the traits have everything from simple stat upgrades to completely change uh, to you know bonuses to certain types of moves or completely changing the nature of moves. It's a uh, it's it, it's a there's a lot of customization in the system that it just gets more and more complicated as you get into higher levels. I, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I, I thought it would be kind of weird in a magical girl series for them to be constantly you know upgrading their weapon. 
you know, or you know, their armor. They usually have an outfit the whole time. So I thought traits would be a interesting to, way to do it. And since they're based on your level, you can't miss anything. So it gives you that ability to customize um, how you play the game without locking you into you know, choice paralysis that you're going to get things wrong since you can always just go back and try something else. With a variety of different traits and abilities in this game for each one of the girls, was it difficult to try to find the right uh, difficulty balance for all of them? So like, like I said before, there is a certain like puzzle solving aspect, to all these. So trying to figure out the balance so you don't end up with parties that are too powerful or tremendously under uh, they don't have enough abilities to do it. Was it tricky to find that balance? Um, it wasn't too hard there. Honestly, the hardest part of the trait system was coming up with enough names <laughs> for the different traits <laughs> um, because they had to, they had to be you know traits and they had to sound interesting and the traits had to at least sort of fit the character who got them. Mm-hmm. And, and and each girl each girl has at least fifteen to twenty of them, right? It's a it's, it's a large grid for each of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. So, yeah, that was probably the trickiest part. And also, you know, the trait name has to kind of go along with whatever, you know, special effect it gives. Um, So that took a lot of, you know, revision. And, you know, I got my whole family in in on that. It's like, oh, what should I call this one? And um, as far as balance goes, um, a big part of our gameplay systems is that we want to keep the player on their toes. We don't want them to fall into a rut of using the same strategy every time. Um, so for, you know, maybe two thirds of the game, the parties are kind of set on which characters you have to use, um, which I, I feel like that helps avoid that whole, you know, is the char- is the player going to be too powerful or too weak? You know, it helps them try different things like, um, in the first dungeon, you have a lot of access to, you know, powerful area of attack uh, abilities that can hit the whole party. Uh, but like in the second dungeon, you lose that because you have a different lay, uh, party composition. But now you have a bunch of really powerful ailment abilities like poison and, you know, abilities that disable the enemy. So, you know, you really have to change your strategy around there. And then I figure, you know, towards the end, you know, just let the player, you know, have fun and, you know, pick your favorite characters, pick, you know, that overpowered strategy you've been wanting to try this whole game and see how it goes for you. I, I haven't, I don't think I've met the seventh character yet where I am in the game. So I still, I still have a ways <laughs> the to go. Secret before character. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I have a, uh, before I'm certain with how the final party design is going to go, but it's definitely going to have Beatrice and Rosalind in it. She's very fun. Um, I, I really like her. She ended up in my uh, final party, actually. Cool. She, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely, uh, th- that's not a spoiler. It's not like you. <laughs> I, no, I, am, I am not, sh- I am not shocked that uh, a game about transforming maidens or ingenues, it, at, at, you know, the, the, the last character is also a maiden or an ingenue. <laughs> it's not like you're just going to, it's not like one of the last secret characters. It's just going to be like, I don't know. The tuxedo mat Mercutio shows up and doesn't do anything. <laughs> I was I was right. low key hoping Except get that killed. I was low key hoping that I could use the dire wolf that Imogen adopts at one point into, <laughs> in in battle, but uh, mm-hmm. alas, that is not the case. Uh, you mentioned family in that last uh, answer. I'm curious. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier before we started the episode about family uh, connections working on this game. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yes, yeah, sh- um, sure. Um, my wife always helps 
with all of our games, I do a lot of brainstorming with her for ideas. And, you know, she goes over the script and tries to fix any horrible mistakes. Um, so she helped there, but also one of my daughters uh, helped a lot with the writing on this game um, because I am not a teenage girl. <laughs> and so I know it's I, hard to believe listening to this podcast. Yeah, it's but, hard to uh, believe I am not a teenage girl. Um, but I wanted each character to sound distinct. I wanted them to sound, you know, natural. Um, so she did a lot of editing um, with the writing to make sure, you know, everybody had a distinct voice and everyone sounded appropriate and not like a 40 year old man. And, but like beyond that, she also, you know, some of the jokes, you know, that made it to the final game were her suggestion or another one of my kids suggestions. Um, one of the biggest jokes in the game um, resulted from a typo that I had written in the script at one point, and everyone thought it was hysterical. Um, so we just turned it into part of the game. Was, and it, was it Sustitute? It was not Sustitute. Oh, that, okay, that, was, that was I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Um, no, it, it was, it, it's involving the zoo scenario. So if you did the zoo scenario, you, you'll know exactly what it is. And, and yeah, it was just ridiculous. And they're like, you have to keep that in the actual game. And I talked to Bill and Bill's like, yeah, that's pretty funny. Let's do it. See, this is what I get for going roller skating. But the roller skating is really funny. I mean, yeah, we stuck in a lot of great references. Yep. Um, at the last minute, I put a uh, everything everywhere all at once joke in there yes the uh, the pizza which you know that was that that came that was like a month ago or so that it, that that popped in and you know there was actually a joke or two that there was a joke that i put in just like a week ago i just saw some of the writing and thought oh this would be funnier if i changed it to this so we've been updating it as we go um, but yeah, so she helped a ton with the writing. Um, she did a lot of the intermission uh, segments where you can chat with your party members. And then another daughter of mine um, really likes to make AMVs. So um, we are like, hey, you want to make a trailer for the game? And I think she did an amazing job of that. Um, so yeah, it was very much a family effort on, you know, on my end making this game. That's really nice. It sounds like you guys, like, not just out of, not you had remarkable collaboration with family, with people who you've worked with in the past, but who really, you know, uh, came out with some really great ideas that you guys haven't, uh, didn't think of before. Um, and also, yeah, the game is loaded with references to your past games, uh, both in terms of the dialogue, some of the enemies. Uh, there are certainly some Lovecraftian references uh, in the enemies, which made me smile. Um I love that. I mean, I think that's always a great way to reward fans of your of your previous games. Uh, and they're never like necessary. It's not like you need to have played the other games to appreciate them. But if you had, you go, oh, yeah, that's funny. I, yeah. OK, I remember that character. Yeah. And there's a cameo boss as is our want. <laughs> I, I fully expect Cthulhu or Dem or someone to show up as a boss later on. Yeah, it's not one of them. <laughs> it's a pretty good setup. To All right. It as All well. right. OK, <laughs> you'll get there. Um, I understand that talking about, you know, the future when your current game hasn't even come out yet, it's going to come out in two days, uh, might be a little presumptuous. But uh, I remember a few years ago when we were interviewing you, you were talking a bit about how uh, you always said you had a, uh, an interest or curiosity about maybe uh, putting a dating sim or a visual novel component into some of your past games. Um, for the future, I don't know what you're doing next. Um, 
have you ever thought about expanding uh, beyond RPGs or is this like you guys, you guys love RPGs. This is where you guys really, really, I mean, it's where you've been living for years, but this is really where you want to keep developing uh, your talents. Or have you thought about maybe doing something like a visual novel? Um, yeah, I, we've thought about di doing different things. Um, everything tends to be RPG adjacent, mm. you know, like visual novels have a lot of similarities with RPGs and, you know, you have, games like persona which is basically just an rpg crossed with a visual novel mm -hmm. um so yeah but i really love turn-based jrpgs so i mean that's always been where i've been focusing but yeah i'd, I'd love to you know i'm not sure i'd love to do a visual novel because that just means more writing <laughs> and <laughs> you know writing is hard yeah like when people ask us questions about making these games a lot of the times they come at it from, you know, they'll say, they'll ask Robert, you know, you, you've probably noticed this Robert, but they'll say like, oh, did you get into this because you love writing the stories so much? Like people, um, I, I don't know if it's, it's because so many RPGs, like a lot of people get into them for the stories and the characters and these epic fantasies that last, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 hours. And I can understand why that for them, the core, like this, big part of it is the story and it should be but um you know it's so it's always been funny to me working with robert where it's like story's important but you know for us really we're we're trying to make like a fun turn-based rpg mechanically first that's like our primary mm -hmm. like starting point and we want to make a story that's good and fun and interesting and you know leaves an impression on people but um we always get to a point where you know robert's like uh, the writing is uh, like it's such a hard part <laughs> of it. Like uh, I don't want to do anymore, you know. Um, but I mean, it, like I think it definitely ha our games have a def definite um sort of feel and like tone and quality to them that's fairly consistent. And I think it's I've always been you know happy with how the writing and the stories and stuff have turned out. I mean, they're not going to be like competing with the latest ninety-hour epic but they're not supposed to either. I think that you guys have found the perfect solution, which is, you know, you both just tell Robert's daughter, hey, we need the scene by tomorrow. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was very impressed with, you know, what how well she did with this game. And, you know, I've been, you know, as good reviews come in, I call her over and say, hey, look, this person loved the, you know, thought the game was hysterical. You know, how's that feel to have, you know, random people online praising you? <laughs> But yeah, you know, I think I think for me, uh, the writing can be really difficult just because the first draft is always terrible, and you just have to get it done so that you can make it better. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that you know it turns out to be a funny game in the end. But you know, I spend most of the time going, "Okay, this could be funny, but it's not now." So what do I need to change to make it funny? <laughs> I mean, the RPG scene is, especially the indie RPG scene, uh, has developed considerably. And I would argue that uh, you two and your studio are, uh, have, are, you guys are responsible for that. Um, because That's you, you not are, true. <laughs> you, no. It's not, you were, you were forerunners uh, in the indie scene, especially with indie RPGs, with the release of Breath of Death 7 for Xbox Live indie games. Uh, and then, of course, things, uh, really took off uh, with the, there was a, a a brilliant two pack of Breath of Death and uh, the first Cthulhu game on Steam. 
Um, sure, but I mean, there had been RPG Maker games for years before we did anything, and I really feel um, like the whole uh, indie RPG scene uh, got a huge boost from Reseteer, um, yeah, which came out on Steam before we did, and I feel like that really paved the way for you know Steam accepting indie RPGs and you know the you know surge of great games that we're seeing these days well speaking of the surge i mean when you guys got started with the indie scene i remember i was i was listening again to the podcast we did a few years ago and like finding breath of death uh seven on xbox live indie games it it was pretty buried like under a bunch of uh menus but nowadays the indie scene is absolutely massive in fact uh tomorrow there's going to be a new nintendo indie direct um and I mean, that's, you know, it is it, the indie scene is mainstream now in terms of the excitement that it builds. Um, what since you guys have been there since the beginning, what developments on the indie scene really have you excited nowadays? Like, how has it changed uh, since you first uh, got started? Well, I just want to add before uh, like we go into that too much that a lot of our like where we are and how we got here. I mean, there wasn't a big element of luck too. like. We got in on Xbox Live Indie Games making RPGs when there were not really any of those kinds of RPGs on the service, and that helped us stand out. And, you know, we got lucky with a lot of dashboard coverage. And, I mean, getting in on Steam when Steam was kind of closed off and only just starting to release or allow, you know, third-party publishers and indie developers to release on there. Like, we got in kind of early, and it's a lot of it's good fortunate timing right place right time kind of thing so i mean i will forever be grateful but i you know and that and that's something i always try to keep in mind is that like we could have repeated everything we did exactly but if we had done it at a different time we might we might not be here you know Mm -hmm. like in this situation so um, timing is everything yeah just timing and and being in the right place at the right time is a big part of it and I always try to keep that in mind so that I'm always, you know, just appreciate like the chances and the opportunities we got and a lot of the people that kind of that we got to know and kind of uh, helped us get there as well. I highly appreciate uh, both of you giving credit to other people where credit is due. But yeah, timing is everything, but you need to have the right product. You need to have the right uh, mixture of creativity and uh, polish and gameplay and you guys, it wasn't, you guys didn't just get lucky. If you had released something terrible, given all of the same circumstances, it wouldn't have worked, but you released a number of games that really captured people's imaginations and reminded them of the RPGs of their youth on uh, the NES, but modernized in terms of its systems. And that took, yes, it it absolutely 100% agree. That took a lot of luck, but it also took a lot of talent to get there. Yeah, I I, I insist that you give yourself a little bit more credit, Bill, because okay. uh, <laughs> like uh, these games are consistently fun, and you've and you've forged your own style that is is mining a specific part of the nostalgia brain a, a little bit, but uh, but but like they're they're popular and fun, and you know an individual person might have a a, a like a, a specific favorite from anywhere in your catalog, but I but I think that each of the games that you make at least. Um, looks better than the previous one and is doing some creative wrinkle to make it stand out among among your catalog. Because uh, I, I, I really, I'm really enjoying uh, This Way Madness Lies, but I don't think it's my favorite game that you've made because, I mean, looking at my Steam library, I have 
geez, I, I, I guess seven games that you've made. And, um, and I think all of them are absolutely worth it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Cthulhu saves the world, a, uh, a Kickstarter success before double fine adventure happened. Yes, uh, it was. So, so yeah, so yeah, <laughs> yes. you, you've not the game itself, just the enhanced version that we were trying to port to That's the PC. That's right. It was okay. The PC right. port with the new with the Cthulhu's. Did we add Cthulhu the Cthulhu's Angels mode from the Kickstarter? Was that one of the things that we added? I can't remember offhand. Um, it was added with the PC version. Yeah, I don't yeah, which is what we I don't remember right. if we specifically mentioned it in the Kickstarter or not, right. but it was part of the the updated version. Yeah, C- Cthulhu's Angels mode, where um, it stars October and uh, and Umi is a possessed version of herself with sharp wielding sharp the sword. <laughs> I, I, I I I've played Cthulhu's Angels. Don't don't worry about that. But uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that you've um you've you've created an identity and a reputation that's very fun and positive and. Uh, and absolutely fits with what RPG fan and random and retro encounter do. So it's it's been it, it's been a pleasure and a privilege uh, playing your games and talking to you over these past couple of years. Um, but to answer your earlier question, I just I mean, back in the Xbox Live Arcade days, um, you'd have you know a few indie games coming out like maybe once a week or so, and you know they'd make a big deal out of the big ones, and it'd be a big event. But now um, there are so many indie games coming out that you know, you can just go online one day and suddenly find your favorite game ever, you know, just came out and you didn't even know it existed before today, uh, but somebody made a game just for you. Um, so I love that about indie games. I love that I have this whole list of indie RPGs I'm looking forward to playing when, you know, our release dies down a little. I mean, there was uh, one of our friends made a game called For a Vast Future, that just came out a few days ago on Steam. It's all Game Boy style sci-fi. I'm really looking forward to trying that out. And you know, I just love that. You know, it's become so easy um, to make and release indie games now that anybody who has an idea and is willing to put in the effort can do it. I've seen some of the stuff from uh, For a Vast Future, and also that's something I do. I very much appreciate uh, about. Uh, both of you is that you do utilize your platform and arguably you know what I I don't know how much more praise either one of you could take because I just noticed Robert like quickly pivoting and changing the subject but you do use the platform that you have uh, to promote other uh, interesting games and other indie developers and things like that using your Twitter account and I've always appreciated that because it's not only it's not only you know a, a good thing to do but it also exposes people to other really worthwhile projects. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this the the in like the indie development scene and the little indie JRPG development scene uh it's like if we all like not necessarily work together but we're if we're all like promoting or helping each other, it like expands the pie, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's not there's no real downside but uh to you know highlighting projects like like the one Robert just mentioned um and I feel like you know that kind of thing. It, it kind of what goes around comes around. I guess uh, it's just it's always it's always been good and it's and it's positive and uh, you know we want to see like if we can expand the popularity and the just the market mind share of RPGs like this. It's just, it's good for all of us. It's good mm-hmm. for um, little RPG studios like ours as well. So I mean, there's really no negatives in my opinion. Yeah, like the. Idiom: A rising tide lifts all boats. 
you know, if, you know, what, you know, Undertale successful. So now people go look for more RPGs and yeah, exactly. you know, it just helps everybody. Yeah. But the thing is, everyone says that, but not a lot of people practice it and you guys do. And that's something I, I, I very much appreciate about you and your studio. Um, well, we were going to wrap this up, but I wanted to ask you both a question, a very, very important question uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with video games or your studio or anything. You are releasing a game in two days, and I imagine that even after that, you're still going to be pretty busy with promotion. But now that you've finished development on your latest title, what are you going to do with yourselves for the next couple of weeks? Um, well, I'm looking forward to playing video games again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, games that I did not have any involvement whatsoever uh, in making. Maybe even stuff that's not RPGs at all. Just just flat out like op like polar opposite of an RPG, whatever that may be. I I want to play the v, the VR version of Thumper. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm very much looking forward to playing the new Plague Tale. Oh, I I I got to start that. It's it's pretty awesome so far. I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, let me tell both of you. I just started last week. Uh, I start. I found it's a little known game called Hades, and I've missed it for years. Uh-huh. And I, you know, it, it came out a few years ago. No one's been talking about it since then. I just played it. I think this thing is going to explode any day now. Yeah, Jono, oh, yeah. we recorded two Hades episodes last year, or two, 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 about around two years ago. I have no idea what you're talking about, Slosi. None Thank, at all. Thanks for listening, buddy. <laughs> Diablo in 30 minutes. <laughs> um, well, I think that both you, uh, you both deserve a rest. You both deserve some solid video game time on the couch. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be good. And, just uh you know we'll keep up with obviously trying to talk about the game more and and obviously we'll be doing you know whatever bug fixes or quirks that need to be patched that weren't found up to this point and mm-hmm. it's not like oh the game is released we're just flat out done like turn off the computer and don't come back it's like you know we have to stay on top of it so we'll be doing that but it at least it won't be like a mad rush you know mm-hmm. at that point i at least it doesn't it shouldn't be. Um, every the game the game seems like it's in a good shape for the launch, and we'll continue to like put things in that are um, you know n- nice to haves rather than like absolutely necessary get it in for launch kind of stuff. So yeah. um, it'll you know it'll it'll be it should be a good launch, and so I'm actually pretty excited about it, and not you know a ball of of stress about it like it's uh i'm i'm sure that that always changes like the day of like when you're like oh my god what's going to go right what's going to go wrong but at the at the moment i feel pretty confident so i'm 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 looking forward to it and looking forward to um doing stuff after a few maybe a few <laughs> days after where i can just you know play a video game or just draw stuff that's not related to this game or whatever absolutely um, before we wrap this up, is there anything, Slosi, that you'd like to ask, or is there anything that uh, Bill or Robert, you guys would like to uh, like to say? I, I guess I have one question. You you, you do sure. not have to answer in specifics, but I, I know that um, at least with some developers, when they're finishing their current game, sometimes all they can think about is the next game. Now, now without saying anything about what it is, like, are there ideas percolating in there for the next Z Boyd game? There's always I, ideas. <laughs> I always have ideas. You know, always ideas. My wife was joking that if I ever get stumped on what game I want to make, um, just make another game, and then I will come up with all the ideas of the game I'd rather be making. So, 
All right. That, that, that's consistent with other things I've heard. Sure. <laughs> you know how you write something? You just start writing. You know, we should at some point, you know, I, I, I think we've talked a lot about doing more of a strategy style game. And, you know, Robert wants to do an apocalypse related game with strategy elements. That would be fun. I think we would both like be into doing something like an Etrian Odyssey style game, not necessarily first person, you know, but it, that, that, that series involves a lot more in the dungeons than just just the battle systems. And I think it'd be cool mm. to, to tackle something like that. So I don't know, maybe we'll do something like that, but we kind of end up deciding like we'll go through like 50 ideas before we land on something. So we'll see. And, and, and also, you don't have to necessarily abandon the idea of transforming superheroes. Just, just saying. You, know, you, you, can, you can still do that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got to say, as a, as a Canadian Maritimer, your post-credit scene in this game just hit me right there. Loved it. <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a moment I was like, yes! <laughs> yeah, oh, I, nice. I, I feel like a lot of games have a problem where the ending you already feel like you already know what's going to happen before you get there. Uh, so I wanted to throw something that was a surprise at the very end. <laughs> and um, the concept in the ending is something that I've discussed making at some point. I don't know if that will ever happen. And if it did, it wouldn't be a sequel to this. It would be its own thing. But I thought it was a fun little thing. And I'm I'm glad somebody appreciated it. Yeah, I wonder how many people pick up on what that is. I only know about it because Robert's talked about it. I mean, mm-hmm. so, but I, I, I still think it's funny nonetheless. So we'll see. Well, I would like to thank both of you uh, for spending a, a good chunk of time with us, considering that I imagine that you have quite a to-do list. Um, you just did an AMA on Reddit, I believe. Uh, we'll include a link to that in the show notes so people can read about that. Um, and... Just, again, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thank you for making this game. Yeah, thank you for uh, having us on. And I just want to, I also wanted to reiterate uh, that, you know, this was a, like a a really fun, um, like, team group project. Like Robert mentioned, you know, how his his daughter helped and stuff. But I also wanted to uh, mention how much, like, enthusiasm and work that uh, Josh Queen did and Sarah Ann Queen did. And how much of their direct influence on the polish of this game uh, kind of shines through with the audio. So big time, uh, you know, credit should go to them as well. Definitely. Okay. Well, uh, I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping here before we wrap up for the day. So uh, yeah, this, this has been a, a really, really great time. Uh, you guys have a game on sale in a few days. We have stuff on sale too. Ha <laughs> ha. Feel that transition. Uh, we opened a store for RPG fans, so you can find it at www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, it's a fantastic way to support the site and get some stuff on there. You're looking for some Christmas presents. We have some Christmas presents for you. So check that out. Uh, I also highly suggest that you check out some past episodes of random encounter. Uh, last week we did two episodes in a, in a row. Last week we did an episode on asexual representation in RPGs. Caitlin was on. I had a really, really great time talking to Caitlin on that one. Uh, this is not the only podcast we have here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter. And Retro Encounter, it's Mass Effect Month. 
Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Solosi? Uh, right. Uh, I I am the showrunner for Retro Encounter RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. Uh, we just hit episode 350 last week, but the other three uh, episodes coming in November to celebrate N7 are going to be about Mass Effects 1, 2, and 3. Uh, uh, John, you, I, and one other guest had a lot of fun uh, talking about the three Mass Effect games and how each of them you know, improves and iterates on the last and, and how the, the characters and narratives evolve and, and sort of come to a, a, a sort of like come to a head in Mass Effect 3. It, it was hugely entertaining for me to revisit that trilogy in 2022. And uh, you, we can experience it all together on Retro Encounter. And in December, we were still planning out the rest of the month, but we were going to do two episodes on Xenosaga Episode 1, German subtitled phrase from Nietzsche. Cool. Um, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Uh, just a reminder, because we had two episodes of Random Encounter in a row, you are going to be getting two episodes of Rhythm Encounter in a row. So for the next two weeks, uh, Mondays, it'll be Rhythm. Uh, next week is going to be an episode on Pokemon, and then the week following that is going to be the best RPG music for your morning commute. So if you are uh, looking for some new music to uh, drive to work, that's your, that's going to be your source. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with me here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for future episodes or discussion questions, please share them. Fire me off a message. Uh, you can also send me an email uh, at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Twitter at the moment at jono underscore Logan. Um, now I'm not the only person with an online presence on this podcast. Solosi, where can we find you online? Uh, that's right. As long as Twitter is still above water, uh, <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at the real monsoon most of the time and at evoker for dogs at other times, uh, on the RPG fans discord. I am monsoon Mike. Cool. And to our guests, Bill and Robert, where can we find you online? You can find our, um, Z Twitter at Z games on Twitter. Like you said, as long as Twitter I- exists. Uh, and then I'm at Bill underscore at underscore Z-Boyd. And I'm at Wherezompire on Twitter. And uh, where can we find This Way Madness Lies online to buy it? This Way Madness Lies is on Steam, and it's coming out November 10th. Uh, the official price is $9.99 USD. That's $9.99. Yeah, Mm-hmm. One penny short of $10, and it has whatever recommended currency exchange prices Valve gave us at the time. Cool. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there. Uh, you can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast players of choice. Again, both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys have been so busy, and the fact that you spent a good hour with us is just Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, having us. And it was fun to talk about this stuff. Absolutely. And Solosi, thank you for coming on and co-hosting with me. It took very, very little persuasion on your part. Uh, it was it was a pleasure talking to you and and all, all, all three of you about this uh, uh, about this game and the and the Z-Boyd catalog in general. C- C- Cthulhu Saves Christmas is still on Steam and December is soon. Just saying. <laughs> it is. It is. A, it is. Like I said before, it is a kick stocking stuffer. Uh, and to everyone out there listening to this podcast. Fair thought and happy hours attend on you.